Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome again to Lighthouse Bible Church this morning. Let's begin by praying together. Father, we just again want to come to you this morning and thank you for the amazing gift that you gave us in your son, Jesus Christ. We know, Father, that we were helpless and hopeless. And it was not for your decision and your love to take care of our sin problem and and have us have the opportunity to be reunited with you forever by, by the death of your son on the cross. And it's his blood and faith in his death and resurrection is the simple means you have provided and the perfect means for anyone who believes to be saved forever. We thank you for that amazing gift, your amazing son. We ask today, Father, that we would see in your word the magnificence of your son, of your plan, of your grace. We ask also, Father, we want to pray now for the needs of the saints. And there are many. And we just help us, Father, to continue to be looking out for one another, being aware of needs and continuing to pray boldly. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's all now stand and sing a congregation song. All right, a few announcements now. Um, We'll be having a regular schedule during the week of Christmas and New Year's. Um, We'll have our Sunday service on Christmas Eve, and we'll have our Sunday service on New Year's Eve. As many of you know, um, Lori's dad, Bobby, passed away um, last last Monday early. And I know you've been praying for her. I want to let you know that they have scheduled the funeral service now. Um, it's going to be Friday, December 22nd at 3 p.m. Friday, December 22nd at 3 p.m. It's going to be in the gardens of Boca Raton Cemetery and Funeral Services. The gardens of Boca Raton Cemetery and Funeral Services. Okay, let me just give you the address. That those of you that were able to attend her mom's service, it's at the same place. In fact, it's the same rabbi. But it's uh, 4103 North Military Trail. Boca Raton, Florida. And you like websites, thegardens.com. So again, it's Friday, December 22nd, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Once again, a reminder that Grace Bible Church Pakistan, they're having that Christmas care package once again this year for families and students and young kids. Um, you can go on our website, and there's a, um, a, they're under latest editions. Right? There's, a, there's a place where you can click on that get more information, particularly how to donate. So we obviously encourage all of us to do that if possible. I also want to mention this morning we got a really nice letter from Pastor Adam um, uh, thanking us and gratitude for all that we've done for them, um, particularly in the last year with the uh, Healing Hands of Christ home. So I just wanted to pass that along. Um, uh, It was real nice to get that from him this morning. All right, this morning's message comes, of course, as usual from our gospel passage. I'd like you to turn now to the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 5. Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 5. I'll give you a moment to get there. And again, the title of today's message is, He, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will glorify me. Look at John chapter 16, verse 5. John 16, 5. But now I am going to him who sent me. This is Jesus Christ now, talking to his disciples. 
Now I am going to him who sent me. That's the Father in heaven. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, if it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and concerning righteousness, concerning judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see me, and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he the Holy Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative. But whenever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. By the way, that's a whole series, okay? That whole has to do with the eschatology, the going forward, everything that's going to come after Jesus Christ goes to the Father, you know, including the, 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 the church, Right? The church was a mystery at this time even. It's a mystery until after Jesus Christ ascends to heaven and the Holy Spirit comes down and then inspires the Apostle Paul to write about the mystery concerning Christ. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative. But whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. This, of course, that describes the ministry of God the Holy Spirit in general. right? In general, he's there not to come up with anything new on his own. But to, but to take what the Father has given Jesus and disclose it to us, to his disciples, and now today to the church, all to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, keep that in mind, because when we get back, we're going to go back to verses 8 to 11 again this morning. But when we do, just keep in mind that throughout all of this, even this ministry that he has to the world, it's still all about glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. But in, in verses 8 to 11, he is, Jesus is talking about the ministry of God the Holy Spirit to the world, to unbeliever. And it's all facts. He's, the Holy Spirit gets the message of the facts that the unbeliever needs to know. And we've seen this, of course. The facts about sin. How, how terrible it is. How it's offended the righteousness of God. And how the only solution to that is Jesus Christ. But because men don't believe in Jesus Christ, they need to be reminded of the fact that they're sinners. And why is that? So that they understand that they need a Savior. Of righteousness. The righteousness of God was offended by the sin of man. And it needs to be addressed. It needs to be, as it were, satisfied. And the death in Jesus Christ satisfied God's justice and righteousness concerning all the claims God had against the human race on a part of our sin. And then concerning judgment. Judgment is all that awaits anybody who 
who understands that who he is, understands that he has offended the righteousness of God and doesn't care. Still doesn't believe in the Savior, Jesus Christ. So this is all about the gospel. Only here it's the ministry of, of the Holy Spirit to the unbeliever so that they can wake up, understand their predicament, realize they need a Savior. And then, when, then, then be open then when the gospel of Jesus Christ is presented to them, they're ready for it. They understand their sinners. They understand that the righteousness of God is the standard they can never possibly meet. They understand that if, it, if, it, if not for the Savior, then judgment awaits. Okay. So again, this is all preparing the unbeliever, the world, right, for the, for the ability to now recognize the truth about themselves, about God, about judgment, and most importantly, about Jesus Christ, the facts. And yet, as I mentioned at the outset today, even here, even here, when God the Holy Spirit is directing his ministry to unbelievers, even here, the Spirit ultimately is working to glorify Christ. Ultimately. That that's his objective. That's his end game. That's his, that's his sole focus and concentration. No matter what he's doing, whether it's to the unbeliever, whether it's to us, it's always for one reason. Glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why we see in our passage that, it, 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 he, he, like in verse 9, when he's, when he's convicting the world of sin, the reason has to do with something about Jesus Christ. You see that? Because they don't believe in me. Concerning righteousness, same thing. I go to the Father, and you, the disciples, by the way, will get into that, no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged, and he was judged at the cross when Jesus Christ, by his death, defeated Satan and the powers and principalities. Okay. So again, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of these things. It's the one and only ministry of the Holy Spirit regarding unbelievers. It is literally the bad news. See, see the fact that you're a sinner and the fact that God requires righteousness and his righteousness is offended by sin, that's, that's bad news for us. Right? And even it gets worse, right? There's a judgment awaiting. So this is all bad news. You might say, well, I thought the gospel is good news. Yeah, well, I don't know about you, but good news, right, is best when there's bad news that came before it. Right? So let's just say there's a war. That's bad news. But our, our military is winning and is defeating the enemy. That's good news. If our, if our military is just hanging around, going to different places, all right, after a while we take, we get, we, you know, we take it for granted. But when there's a war, that's when we really wait for the good news about what that military is going to accomplish, as an example. So bad news first. Sin, righteousness, judgment. All right. Look at, chapter, look at John 16, verse 14. Okay, we read it, I read it already to you, but here is again the point that his even... When it comes to, let me back up and you can go to John's, go to John 16, 14. I'm going to make the point again, though. All right, I think you're already there. So the point is that even here, when the, when the Spirit is focused on convicting the world, he's still working to glorify Christ, but at the same time, he's empowering the disciples. Because it turns out that the disciples are the means by which God the Holy Spirit 
glorifies the Father now. Same thing with the church, as we'll see. He will glorify me because he takes of mine and discloses it to you. Last Sunday, we saw that Jesus confronted the world about these things. And he had been confronting them throughout his public ministry. We went through several passages before in the Gospel of John during Jesus' public ministry. And we saw that he himself confronted the world. Remember how the world is, is, is typified, is represented during the ministry of Jesus Christ by the unbelieving leaders in particular of the nation of Israel. And as goes the leadership, so goes the country. So that, so that he was confronting them, but, he, but he was, they were representing the world when he did that. And he did, we saw that he, 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 he confronted them about sin, about righteousness, and about judgment. This morning, though, we're going to pick up with the second subject, righteousness. Let's, go, let's look at now at John 16.10. Concerning righteousness. Because I, Jesus Christ, go to the Father, and you no longer see me. And I want you to notice something. In this verse, well, in verse, in verse 9, he said concerning sin because... What? Not, no, not you. What does it say? They, right? Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. But then notice the change in verse 10. What does he say? Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you, the disciples, no longer see me. The point is that you might expect him to say they again, right? Naturally, you'd think, well, concerning sin, because they don't believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and they no longer see me, right? That would, that would fit right in line. But yet that's not what he says. He doesn't say they, as in the world, will no longer see him. Now that's true. There's no question. They won't either see him. But here he says, you, the disciples, will no longer see me. And I'll submit to you that's very significant. And when you see something like that, you ought to stop and say, why, why the change? Right? Why is he now talking about the disciples, and he was talking about the world, all right? and yet he's still convicting the world, but now he turns to the disciples. He turns to us this morning. He says, here's the thing, this morning, we don't see him either. Right? He's in heaven. Right? The disciples saw him, but after he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, they didn't see him either, with a couple of exceptions. Actually, one couple that I can think of, Stephen, when he was dying, and Paul. But he's in heaven now. That's the point. He's not here on earth. He's no longer convicting the world concerning righteousness. Okay, because he's up there and the world's down here. Now, let's walk through this. Let's think about this. The subject is righteousness. And, and, and the question is, why at this point would Jesus point to us, or well, the disciples, and say, you no longer see me? Let's walk through this. Okay. The subject is righteousness. And as we've seen, at the cross, Jesus vindicated the righteousness of God. Remember, we look at the cross and we naturally think about it in terms of Jesus dying for us. And that's absolutely true. And it makes all the difference in the world to us. But don't forget, God's up there, and he's primary in all things. Remember, his son kept saying that. He's saying, I come here, I was sent by the Father, I'm obedient to the Father. So the first thing 
that what really matters is what the cross meant to God the Father. So I want you to think about that. So in the context of righteousness, well, what, what, what is the issue concerning the righteousness of God that the cross addressed? And the answer is that his holiness was offended by sin. That's the answer. And yet God loved the world. So here we are. Here we have God. And essentially, he's got a motive of love for everybody, the world. But his righteousness is offended against sin. And he cannot, he will not go forward until that is dealt with. Righteousness of God. He, he kind of, remember in the Old Testament and before, they were committing sins galore. I mean, just read the Old Testament, right? And he didn't address the sin, of right, I mean, the sin against his righteousness. Right? He made temporary provision so that the Jewish nation could continue to go on, right? He had the temple sacrifices. But the animal sacrifices, the blood that was spilled by those animals, did not forgive one sin. It did not ultimately vindicate the righteousness of God. Only Christ at the cross did. Only Christ. He, by his death, vindicated. In other words, satisfied. In other words, vindicate means to, to, to declare that he's declaring the glory of God. He's declaring the fact that, yes, in fact, my father is righteous. He's dealt with sin. He didn't wink at it. He didn't overlook it. So that's what, that's what happened. That's first and foremost. What happened with respect to God? Christ vindicated the righteousness of God. They had been offended by human sin. Now here's the interesting part. Jesus Christ has a public ministry. And then he spends this last night before he goes to the cross just with his disciples. And next he's going to go before these illegal trials. He's going to be captured. He's going to have these illegal trials by the, by the high priests and so forth, by Herod. And then he goes to Pilate. And Pilate is the one authority that had the right to interrogate him concerning what he supposedly did wrong. And Pilate found him innocent, but he didn't have any guts. So he said, well, I'm getting, all these people are yelling at me to kill him, so I guess we're going to do it. One of the biggest acts of cowardice in human history. But in any event, he, he, he is now, he is now you know, publicly humiliated. And by the way, the Bible, we'll see this today in Romans 3, specifies that his death was a public thing. And the reason for that is that God's righteousness needed to be vindicated publicly. Everybody had to see it. Okay? So, so that's happening. And then he, what? he goes to the cross and he dies. Now, has he, is he gonna, is, has he, from the time that he was up there in the upper room with the disciples, till the time that he goes back to the Father, he has no ministry to the world. He's done talking to the world. Right? As a matter of fact, after he, after he ra- is raised from the dead, he never spoke to the world again. Why? Because after he rose from the dead, and you can check this out, he only appeared to believers. He only appeared to disciples. Think about it. When he, if, you, if you look at, for example, Paul, when he talks about, he's, def- he's arguing why the, re- the resurrection of God is a fact. And he talked about so, some of the appearances of Jesus Christ. You know, and it was to the apostles. It was to him. It was to 500 believers. It was only to believers. There is no record of Jesus going to any unbeliever 
or presenting himself in Jerusalem as risen from the dead only to believers. And that's very, very significant. That's why he says concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. In other words, you are the only ones who now understand at the moment what I did on the cross concerning righteousness of my Father. He didn't reveal that to the world. He didn't reveal the connection. Okay, That only comes later. That only comes primarily to Peter and Paul and John because they're the writers of the New Testament after the Gospels and Luke. So he, he is now in heaven and the Holy Spirit is now inspiring the, the apostles, revealing to Paul in particular the meaning of what happened at the cross for us, but also for God. Only appeared to believers from that point forward. And again, that's very significant. You see, that's why he said you. He's, what he's basically saying is, you're the ones who are going to carry the ball on this message. It's not something that Jesus revealed during his ministry. So that's why it's important for us. That's why he singles us out when it comes to the righteousness of God. And yet, even though he only appears to believers, and he doesn't appear to the world after he rises from the dead, the world was still there. And the world was still totally lost. And the Holy Spirit has a ministry to the world. And, it, and it's not going to be through, the, through Jesus Christ on earth. The world was there when Christ rose from the dead. It was there in the first century, in the second century. It's here today. We have unbelievers down the street from where we live. We see them at family get-togethers. We see them in our government. By the way, we even see it in our churches. Because don't never assume that everybody who comes to church on Sunday is a believer. After all, Judas was with the assembly for what? Three and a half years? They didn't believe for one moment. So unbelievers are all around us. The world very much is operating. In fact, Paul said things get worse in the end times before Christ comes back. And Jesus is no longer on earth. He's no longer confronting the world about sin, himself, sin, and righteousness, and judgment. And yet he said that it's to our advantage that he goes back to the Father. Why? Very simply because he set down his replacement another helper. He's done with his ministry to the world. He's now died for the sin of the world, and they don't know it. He's satisfied the righteousness of God on behalf of everybody, and they don't know it. So therefore, the Holy Spirit is the one who, as it were, carries the ball. It's football season. You know, I've told you many times, there's two things about me that you need to understand. One of them is food, and the other is sports. And the fact of the matter is, though, that it's a good metaphor to say that Jesus is, I mean, Holy Spirit is now carrying the ball with this message. He's got the responsibility to get the message concerning the righteousness of God out. And, and, the, other th- and the others, too, sin and judgment. So Holy Spirit is his replacement. And he, he's another helper. He's another teacher. He's another exhorter. Why? Because those are all things that Jesus did for the disciples and for the world when he was here. And he's in heaven, so what does he do? He sends the Holy Spirit as a replacement. And what happens? The Holy Spirit now takes up the work of convicting the unbeliever. The unbeliever concerning sin, concerning righteousness, and concerning judgment. Now, Jesus is in heaven. Holy Spirit comes down. 
He's going he's to bring the message to the unbeliever on the earth. How is he going to do it? How is he going to do it? I'll tell you right now, he doesn't do it directly, does he? What do I mean by that? Well, he doesn't appear, appear in the sky with the angels to preach the gospel. The angels will be preaching the gospels in the tribulation period, but not now. He doesn't book arenas and go around having a tour. He doesn't have time slots on CNN and Fox. right? How does he do it? Well, you know, Jesus said something, and we saw this in chapter 14 to his disciples, and he said something that really needed, we needed back then to stop and say, what is he saying? Right? He told the disciples what? That they would do the works that he did. Remember? He said, listen, the disciples, you will do the works that I did. And he said, even greater works than these. Because I went, I'm going to my Father in heaven. So, so that same event, going to the, him going back to the Father, on the one hand, the, he sends the Holy Spirit down at that time. On the other hand, he's telling the disciples that they're going to do the works that he did. So you have this thing, and we see this often in the Word of God, that on the one hand, it's the Holy Spirit doing it, but on the other hand, we're doing it. You see that? Now, we can only, without Christ, of course, we can do nothing. But, but with him we can what? Do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So, so it's the Holy Spirit, does, he leads us, he empowers us, he gives us the message, and yet we're involved. We're involved. And so why? Because we're the ones ultimately, when you look at things on the ground, what you ultimately see is the church bringing the message to the world. And that's how God is doing it. It's a tremendous privilege for that to happen, you know. Um, he, he assigned that to the nation of Israel, and they didn't do it, okay. They, they couldn't even get, get their own house in order. And that tells you something, by the way, about the church. When the church can't get its house in order, it's not going to do an effective job bringing the message either. Because then it really never has. I mean, if you know the history of the church, yeah, if, you, if you look at it from a human point of view, it's never had its act together. For, for 1,500 years, it was the Catholic Church. That was it in Europe and anywhere, just about. There were a few people in a couple of countries that were saying, no, wait a minute, this is what the Word of God says, because they were burned at the stake for the most part. So you had, you had a real messed up church for oh, 1,400 years. Didn't get its act together at all. It went in the wrong direction. And, even, and today we see the same thing, don't we? If we look at just the, 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 the church you know, that, 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 as it's defining itself, it's a mess. I'm going to get into that a little while later. And yet, of course, the work goes on, right? How does it, it, it often goes on despite the organized church, by the way, all right? But it goes on. Why? Because it's the Holy Spirit who's, who's, who's directing everything. So the point is, though, that Jesus said that the disciples would do his work and greater works than these. Just like he said, it's to your advantage that I go to the Father, because you will be doing greater works than I did when I go to the Father because the Holy Spirit will be here and he's God too and he, and he is supernaturally directing that things that are going on and he empowers the church. He, the moment we believe in Christ, what happens? He, well, he regenerates us. We become born again. We have eternal life. Then he takes us and he, and he places us into the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ out with the old and with the new. We now have the power to put away the old man and to put on the new man. 
So that prepares us. Not only that, but he places us then into the body of Christ. And that's critical. Why? What is he saying there? He's saying this is not a one-man band, right? If you're going to do this, you're going to do this together. And he places every one of us in the body of Christ just where he wants us to be. And he empowers every one of us with a spiritual gift for the purpose of building up, edifying one another. And what happens? When that happens, now the church can really start to function. We are to be the pillar of truth. We are to bring the message of the gospel to the world. And it's the Holy Spirit that makes that happen. But, in fact, when, when, when he does do his work, we are empowered. And ultimately, on the ground, we're the ones doing it. Right? Not ourselves. He's working through us. But it's still us on the earth. It's us that the unbeliever meets. It, it's us that the unbeliever can look at. Remember, when we, even when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're bringing into remembrance the death of the Lord. And that's another way in which we, we should and bring the message to the world. Right? The way that we interact with each other sends a message to the world. The way that we live our lives sends a message to the world. And yes, the way that we speak, particularly when we speak the gospel, sends a powerful message to the world. I right, look at John chapter 14, verse 12. John 14, 12. Truly, truly, very important thing he's about to say, right? I say to you, my disciples, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do. Because I go to the Father. You know, there's tons of people out there that are, that are, that are going to churches every day. And what they think he's saying here is that they'll be doing greater miracles than he did. But they, if they think that, they completely misunderstand what the purpose of the miracles were. The purpose of the miracles was to... Was to glorify and put attention on the person that is conducting them. Why? Not for them, but because of the message they were bringing. And they were bringing a new message. You know, if you look at the miracles in the Bible, you'll see they always occur at, as it were, turning points in the plan of God. Turning points in the plan of God. When Jesus came, we're about to celebrate Christmas. And there were miracles, right? Weren't there? There were angels appearing in the sky. Jesus comes down and he performs miraculous healings. Why? Why then? Why did David not perform any miracles? Right? You can ask that question. But Elijah did. Well, it turns out that Elijah was inaugurating the time of the prophets. So that starts with miracles. Now it's time to understand how God is working and will be working. But, all, but after Elijah, the other prophets didn't perform miracles. There's no record of Isaiah performing a miracle, for example. Right? Moses did. Why? Why would Moses have performed the miracles that he did, but David didn't? And the answer is, is because that's when the nation of Israel was born. It was born through the work of Mo, through God's work, but through Moses leading them out of, out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, into the desert. That's why. That's why he performed miracles. And by the way, you know, when, when, the, when the Holy Spirit began the church, we got more miracles. Because that's something new. And people needed to understand and wake up and understand this is new, 
right? And so you have, you have the Pentecost day when all of a sudden the, the, the 12 are standing up in Jerusalem and they're speaking in the languages of all of these people that they were assembled. They were Jews in for the Jewish feast of Pentecost. They came from every nation. And, and the Bible is very explicit about all the different nations they came from. On the one hand, just to show that that, that was just miraculous, which is about to happen. And on the other hand, you know, Jesus had just said, you will be my witnesses. Right? And Judea and Samaria and throughout the world. And that happened for the first time, really, at Pentecost. And there was a miracle. There were miracles when Peter came on the scene. There were miracles when Paul came on the scene. He performed miracles. Why? Because there's something new here. Right? In terms of God's creating something new. Right? But we're here and we're not, you know, we're not out there creating a new era. Despite what people out there want to say, right? I mean, people that are Christians want to say the same thing. We're building the kingdom. Well, no, you're not. You're not building any kingdom here. What you're doing is allowing the Holy Spirit to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what you're doing. You're here to spread the message of truth. The kingdom will come, but that will glorify God and Jesus Christ when he comes back. Now, that's Bible. Okay, And we can either say, we're going to go with what the Bible says, or we're going to go with cultural Christianity and say, you know what, yeah, I feel important when I say I'm building the kingdom. Yeah, but you're not. You're not. We're in another time right now, the time of the church, and we have our duty. And it's not to build anything out there in the world. It's to be here together and, and and get the truth out. And by our lives together, not a miracle, but our lives together of loving one another, forgiving one another, that's what we're called to do. That's our witness. That's, as it were, our job. That, but that, and that's what he meant in verse 12. He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Now plug into it our subject this morning. We just saw that Jesus did the work of convicting the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And I dare say that that's the most important work, right? The most important work is what he did to get the message out, what he did on the cross, and now the revelation of that message. That's the most important work. As a matter of fact, he said believing, just believing, not just, but believing in him is the work of God. And we got to get straight about that. It's not performing miracles. The greater works here on the fact that now, because of the enabling power of the Holy Spirit and the mushrooming of the church, if I could put it that way, the church is, just like Israel, but nation, Jews now, the church is on, on countries around the world. You know, they're not all, again, they don't have their act together, okay? But they're out there. And now those, there's greater works in terms of what really matters now. In terms of getting out the message, right? Because during Jesus' life, the message that he had, he brought. And, you know, he, was, he, was, he did that in his humanity, right? He didn't do it either. He didn't, like, do, he didn't have any CNN back then. Or, you know, he, and people wonder why he didn't, you know. But he didn't. His ministry was to Israel, believing and unbelieving, primarily unbelieving. So that was his work. His work, he said, I come to do the, the works of my Father and glorify him. And he never glorified him more than dying on the cross for our sins. 
Okay, now, we don't have to do that, but we are, we are commanded to lay down our lives for one another. And people would rather talk about a miraculous show where they go and see somebody take a snake and keep it in his hand or have somebody supposedly get slain in the spirit and fall over. And they forget about the idea of laying down our lives for one another and forgiving one another and loving one another and getting the message out, not about us, about him. Jesus told them it was to their advantage that he, that he is going to go away, go home to the Father, because then he would send the Holy Spirit to them and to us. So the Holy Spirit comes down. And again, there's a miracles at the beginning. But then later, later, he's doing, he's now clicking in with the church concerning how we get the message out. Now, how did he do that? Well, the first thing he did, not the first thing, but in terms of getting the message out to the world, he inspired the scriptures that the apostles wrote and the messages that they preached during their lives. And by the way, he directly inspired the scriptures that they wrote. Okay, make no mistake about that. All scripture is God-breathed. And I got to tell you something, when, when I read that, that makes me realize what, what we're doing here matters. <laughs> you know, we have the, we, what we have, all right, and anybody can have it, by the way. I'm not saying we're important. But what believers have in the church is the words that God directly inspired men to write. We often forget that. You know, it's a book we carry around. And, we, and out there in the church, they're debating about, well, I'm a King James only guy and all this stuff. And they forget about the fact that, that we wouldn't have any of that except for the fact that the Holy Spirit inspired men to write. And by the way, he's still working, isn't he? And the fact of the matter is now, he's taken what, you know, did the church make a mess at times? Of, of, of the Bible? Well, absolutely, right? And yet he got the job done. But first, he directly inspired the apostles to write the scriptures. I want you to see Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20. This is written by Peter. The first pope, apparently. <laughs> no. Right? But that's what Catholic Church thinks. He thinks he's the first pope. But, of course, that puts all the attention on who? The Pope. Man. Oh, whatever he says, he's infallible. Really? He's not. Wow. Right? I guess he's more infallible than the Holy Spirit then, because he ain't saying what's in the Bible. All right. I, 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 but I digress. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20. But know this first of all. This is Peter, who followed Jesus for three and a half years, who was in the upper room. Who, who denied him three times. Always acting like a fool, really, when you think about it. During, I mean, not always, but often he would just be impetuous and do things. He cuts off the ear of a servant of the high priest when Jesus is about to be going on his final calling on earth, which was to die for the sins of the world. So Peter was no saint, right? In that sense, he was a saint in terms of the truth of being a believer, but he's writing these things. And there's nobody who, who understands this probably anywhere better than Peter did. Because he, he saw how Christ came back to him and healed him and said, now I want you to go to my brothers and do the same thing for them. So he was on the scene from the beginning and he realized this about the Bible. But know this first of all, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. 
for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but how? But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And this is, this is true, you know, the word prophecy, okay, we tend to think of it as just telling the future, because that's kind of the more spectacular thing, you know, and it's true, and God is a spectacular God, but that word primarily means bringing the message of God to the people, whatever it might be. In the Old Testament, that's what Isaiah did. That's what Jeremiah did. In the New Testament, the apostles did that. And what did they do? They wrote it down. And that was inspired. Okay? And so, so here he's also talking about the New Testament. No prophecy of Scripture is ever a matter of one's own interpretation. Boy, I wish, I wish you know, I wish if nothing else... That the church would read Second Peter, you would think the Catholic Church. You'd think they'd read this. I mean, if their first pope wrote it. But if they did, they would understand something. That it's not up to human beings to say to take the scripture and say, Well, let me tell you what I think. No, it's not a matter of anybody's interpretation. You know? That's why, you know, that's why, you know, it's such a such great heroes finally got the Bible translated into the language of the people so that they could always check the interpretation against what the Word says. It's not a matter of one's own interpretation. No prophecy, no scripture was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. That's what you have in front of you today. The very words of God spoken through men. Was it a long time ago? Yes. But is it just as true today? Absolutely. Needed more than ever. Okay. So then the Spirit did that, but he did something else too. He then went about building the church, the body of Christ. Okay. In other words, what's, what's our subject today? Getting the message of convicting the world and bringing the gospel to the world first. He has, inspires the New Testament writers to write what they did. Then he's building the church. Why? Because that's going to be the vessel by which he's going to operate in the world. And I want you to see just one passage today about how he did that. Please look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. This is actually Jesus acting here, okay? Well, he's given the gift. Ephesians 4.11. Ephesians 4.11. And he gave some as apostles, not all, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. That's how he did it. That's the first step. First thing he had to do was bring on the same people that would that he would inspire to write the New Testament, that he would then, you know, illuminate men with a special gift to communicate, right? That's why the main vehicle, when it comes to getting the message out to the world, just remember that value the absolute importance of evangelists because they're the ones that are on point, right? We're here 
we're, of course, we're, we're doing, we are bringing it out when we're operating together, you know, here in our local, in, in our local communities, and to a certain extent now through the miracles of technology, we're getting it out. But still, the people on the ground, right, in other countries are the missionaries and evangelists. Pray for them. Support them. They're members of the body. And I want you to notice here what they're ultimately about. Notice. We're going to read it together. He gave some as apostles. That's in the first century. Some as prophets. Okay, there were some of those that were called expressly that before the canon of Scripture was completed. And the, But the word prophet means he who brings the messenger, message of God to the people. Some as evangelists, the spreaders of the gospel. Some as pastors and teachers. So essentially, by the way, he's got, he's very, he's got specialized work now, by the way, as he always did. You know, Moses had a special task. The Levites had a special task. The kings had a special task. Well, he set up the church the same way with the difference that we're all members one of another now. And what you do affects me and what I do affects you, right? In a very direct spiritual way. He gave some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. In other words, there's those that are going out and there's theirs, as it were, keeping the home fires burning. I mean, it's a lot more than that. But in this context, like the, the, what's the purpose? But what's the purpose of all of that? All of that. Ultimately, notice verse 12. Ultimately, the purpose is to equip the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. That, so, so we have what we have there is... I'm going to back up a minute. We have God the Father sending Jesus Christ for the work of you know, saving the world on the cross. And he goes up, and then he sends down the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment and to, and to have the word of God go out. What does he do? Well, he calls and builds the church as the vessel for that. And then you have these, you have these particular men who have that job directly communicating. And then what happens after that? Well, they're, in fact, equipping the saints for the work of service. And that's where the action happens with the the saints of God, with the body of Christ, the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So we know that the Holy Spirit directly inspired the apostles to write the New Testament, but then he gives the gifts also to the church, and now it's evangelists and pastor teachers, and now the Holy Spirit preaches his message through the church and only through the church. And the church is the body of believers in Jesus Christ. It's not an institution. It's not a building. It's, it's something known actually only to God. Right? Because it's, it's the ones who are believers. That's, that's the ones. Okay? And, we, and the believers in Jesus Christ are the one and only vessel of getting the message out the Holy Spirit works through the church. That's why he's building up. He built up the body. He then, you know, encourages the body. He, he has us, he's knitting us together in love. He, he's illuminating for the message. He's inspiring. He's giving us the ability to understand the scriptures. All for what? To empower and equip us for the work of service. To the building up of the body of Christ. So he directly inspires the apostles to write the New Testament. He gives gifts to the church of men, evangelists and pastors and teachers. And then he now teaches the message through what he's built, the church. And that goes to the world. 
And it also goes beyond the world. You might say, what's that? Well, go back to chapter 3 of Ephesians. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, verse 8. What we're doing here matters. What, what, what is, if we only could grasp the significance of the church. Again, not the building, not the, tele, not the television people, but the, the, the believers in Christ in one body. It's incredible what God is doing through the church. Now look at this, Ephesians chapter 3 verse 8. To me, this is, of course, Paul writing now, the very least of all saints, he persecuted the church. This grace was given. It didn't come from him. It wasn't an act of his will. His grace was given to what? Preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. We, we totally, I think, often anyway, undervalue the precious richness of what we have in our hands. We have the unfathomable riches of Christ himself. How do we get it? Because, because God empowered men to inspire them to write it and to preach it. Paul was given this gift to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery. He's bringing to light basically the, 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 the work and purpose for which the church has been established, the ministration of what? The mystery, which has for ages been hidden in God, who created all things. When you think about that, Genesis 1.1, and God created the heavens and the earth. Little did anybody know at that time what was going to happen, right? But then Jesus Christ comes and dies and rises from the dead. And then there's this new era that was inaugurated at Pentecost and the Spirit came and, and filled the hearts of every individual and dwells the hearts of every believer. And it's amazing. And, and why? Because he's bringing to light the administration of that word mystery. We've studied that word. The mystery is not Sherlock Holmes. The mystery is the fact that God has taken the Gentiles and the Jews and placed them in one body. The mystery is that Christ lives in you. That was, not, that was only revealed after Jesus went to the Father and through the ministry of this vessel, the worst sinner who ever lived. For the, the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God, who created all things, Genesis, from Genesis 1-1 until the, until the ministry of the Apostle Paul it was hidden in God. And then God revealed it through Paul. Why? Because the church was going to be his vessel now to take these new things that he, re, he, he now has revealed because Christ is in heaven. And the Holy Spirit's here so that the many-faceted wisdom of God might, what? What's the next word? Verse 10, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now. This is you. This is me. It's why we're here. What? To do What? that the manifest wisdom of God might now be made known through the church. Right? Not a building, not a mega church, but, but the members of the body of Christ, believers knitted together in love. What's happening? The many-faceted wisdom of God. How can that be? The word of God. 
the incredible riches, the Holy Spirit indwelling our hearts, the many-faceted wisdom of God might now be made known through the church. Uh, to who? Here. Not a mystery. <laughs> that the many-faceted, verse 10, wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to... Wake up, everybody. Yes! The rulers and authorities in the heavenlies. Wow! What we do matters, I guess, right? After all, he's done the amazing things that he's done, which we forget about. He's knitted us together in love. And now he's using this, this vessel, this, you know, messed up. I can't get my, I woke up today with a headache. People. And he's what? He's bringing a message to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That's the angels, gang. You know, we're waiting for angels to appear to us. When it would all along, who knew? We were, we were sending a message to them. We are now the broadcast system, as it were, of the Holy Spirit. And through us, he's convicting the world of sin and righteousness and, yes, judgment. And preaching the good news of the gospel. Let's go back now to John 16, 11. John 16, 11. And concerning judgment. John 16, 11. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. That's part of the message to the world, gang. Concerning judgment. Now, I'm going to say something now, and I want you to pay attention, and I want you to think about this in terms of where the world is today, not the world, where the church is today, and I want you to think about this statement. Just, just If you don't believe there's a judgment, then you simply do not understand God's righteousness. Let me say that again. If you don't believe there's a judgment, if you go out around saying there's no hell, for example, or that God's not, God's, a, God's loving, he's never going to judge anybody. Well, if you think that, you simply have no concept of what God's righteousness really is. God, and so let me put it to you this way. You know what? If God's holiness were not offended by sin, then there wouldn't be a judgment, would there? Wouldn't be. God's like, oh, I'm not offended. You know, I'm, I'm understanding here. Right? I don't judge anybody. You do what you want, and I'll do what I want. I'm up here in heaven, and you guys go right along. Uh, my righteousness is really fine with sin. Oh, no, it's not, because sin offended the very righteousness of God. If you don't believe there's a judgment, you just don't understand that. You don't understand what it means that God is holy. And he is. We forget about that. But we need to remember it of all places when we're preaching the gospel. Because if he's not a holy God, if, if there's no judgment, let me ask it, let me put it this way. If you don't believe there's a judgment, let me ask you a question. When, why exactly did Jesus have to die on the cross? You ever think about that? Why does he have to die on the cross? And the answer is because God is holy and righteous. And, and, and Jesus was the one who demonstrated that publicly on the cross. 
And yes, he did it for us, but first he did it for God. God had to have a perfect sacrifice on behalf of the human race, and Jesus was it on the cross. He completely satisfied the righteousness and justice of God with respect to all of God's claims against sin, against the human race. If there's no judgment, why do people need to believe in Christ? I mean, why don't they just go merrily along? Who cares, right? Here's the point. If we don't consider, and we need to, we need to consider what are we saying about God and Christ when we deny there's a hell, when we deny there's a judgment, when we deny that there's a wrath of God. We talk about salvation, don't we? We want our loved ones to be saved. What are we saying? What are we saying? If there's no judgment, then what the heck do they need to be saved from? There's no judgment. They don't need to be saved. Everything's fine. We don't have to tell them about the judgment coming up. We don't really want to. We're shying away from it. And you know what? Maybe, maybe it's not there. Boy, wouldn't that ah, sigh of relief. There's no hell. There's no lake of fire. Ah, I can just go swimming along. I don't really have to worry about the, believer, the unbeliever. But you do. Because there is. And the reason there is is because the righteousness and holiness of God. He sent his son to die. How, how seriously does God take his righteousness? He took his own son and had him become human as well as God and die. I think that's a pretty serious reason. I think there's a really critical thing that we need to understand about God's holiness. And we have to see it in the cross of Jesus Christ. And beyond all of that, and this is really the bottom line, Jesus himself warned the unbeliever about judgment. In fact, he was very explicit about it. The Bible as as a whole is very explicit about judgment and the wrath of God. And we ought not to overlook something that's so clear in the word of God that Jesus told the unbeliever about. Let's look, for example, in John. Let's look at John 3, verse 16. John 3.16. You say, oh, I know John 3.16. I see it on the, like on, the, on the people, the football players, they put that black thing on in John 3.16. Or they get a tattoo. I know John 3.16. Okay. Let's read it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him what? Shall not perish. You want to tell me there's no judgment? And why is it that people who don't believe in him perish? Because there is. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world. That wasn't his purpose. He had, he had a purpose. And that was what? So that the whole world would be saved through him. So it's not that God wants people to go. It's quite the opposite. If he want, look, if he wants people to go to hell, all he had to do was not send his son. But he did, because he doesn't want anybody to perish. Not willing that one person would perish. But, his, but now the vessel of his righteousness, Jesus Christ, that perfect sacrifice, God, as it were, has made the way wide open. And if people say, nah, I, I, you know, nah, 
Gee, I, I don't, I'm not a sinner. Jesus Christ didn't die for me. What happens? Let's continue reading. But God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. For God, so what, after all? Love the world. Now, if he was just love and wasn't, didn't have righteousness that was only satisfied by the death of his son, and his son wasn't one, the only means by which anybody can be saved, then all right. But, it, but he is, right? Notice. But God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through his son. And he who believes in him, what's the issue now? He who believes in him is going to have a great life. This is what the church today says. He, if they even get to the subject of belief, because they're all about followers and repenting and all that stuff. But what does it say for those who believe? Will not be judged. So, do you, so you know what? But there's no judgment, Pastor. Oh, 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 wait a minute. What, is it, what does it say in verse um, 18? He who believes in him. This is the importance of the gospel. This is why you really are concerned and you have reason to be concerned about your unbelieving friends and family who couldn't care about what we're doing here. They don't think it matters at all. And the reason that it matters is because this. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. Jesus said these things. He warns the unbeliever about judgment. And then he dies for these very people. Then he was raised from the dead. So that whoever believes in him will not face the judgment. He couldn't make it any simpler. He cleared everything away. He sin and the guilt of sin and the offended righteousness of God. The fact that we were born in Adam. All of that's been cleared away, gang, by the death of Christ on the cross. He couldn't make it easier. Anyone who believes in him won't face that judgment. And here's, of course, the good news. I'm going to end with some good news today. Instead, what do they have? Eternal life. But see, those are the stakes. Let's not forget. The stakes for each and every person who's an unbeliever are either judgment or the eternal life. And, goes, and, and that's the good news, right? Here's the good news, finally. Okay, you do believe you have eternal life. Good news. Jesus Christ died and was raised from the dead so that whoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. All right, we're going to have to end here today. But uh, a lot more. You know how that goes. Yeah, I just want to say again, I want to reinforce one more time that the Holy Spirit is getting the message out. But how? How is he getting the message out? Through the church. Right? What we do here matters. What we do here every week when we rehearse the gospel of Jesus Christ in its simplicity matters. What we do here to have the word of God proclaimed matters. It doesn't Believe me, it doesn't matter to the world. The ones who most benefit by it, right? It doesn't, probably doesn't matter to your friends, mostly. probably doesn't matter to your own family. But you know who it matters to? God. And it matters to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died for this message. Never forget that. All right, let's close. Heavenly Father, thank you today. 
Thank you today for the truth, unvarnished truth. And we thank you, Father, that, that all we have to do is simply believe what you're saying. And that will change how we think. When we change how we think, we'll be a more effective witness to the truth of sin and righteousness and judgment. But most importantly, what you did about it in sending your son to die. And you raise him from the dead. So that whoever simply believes will never perish but have eternal life. Father, we do also this morning want to pray for the evangelists and missionaries and pastors. <laughs> we want to pray for the, our local community here, our local church. Pray for their needs, which are many. And we just ask, Father, that we would continue to, when we get bogged down again and discouraged and there's people in our lives that are closing doors about the message of the gospel and don't really care what we do here, that we just simply go back and say, yeah, but, but, but I, know, I know what you say, Father. I know what Jesus thinks, and that's enough. Help us to have that mentality this week and every week. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, you are dismissed. Enjoy this day. We'll be back on Thursday, Bible study at 6.30.